in John chapter 12, and we'll be picking up the reading at verse 20, and read through to verse 26. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, who was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh, and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew, and Philip, tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us and pray you will encourage us and edify us in faith and build us up in our walk with you that we may be the servants you want us to be and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage today, it seems like a very short passage and kind of straightforward. Uh, but uh, the kind of the anomaly of it is that the people that were coming to see Jesus at this particular time and asking an interview of him were those who were Gentiles in origin and not Jews, which um, is a little bit different considering that Jesus himself was, uh, came to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so there were a great many people who were looking for Jesus. The multitude looked for Jesus in hopes that they may see another miracle. Remember there was the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus, which was no small event that took place, and of course a, no, a numerous number of various people who were healed um, along the way. And so we find that uh, these all sought Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. Um, his disciples looked for Jesus that they may hear him teach and to instruct in the greater things of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees could only teach the law. But when Jesus taught, it was far beyond that which the scribes and Pharisees taught. Sometimes he taught in parables and later explained them unto his own disciples. The poor sought out Jesus that they might be healed and forgiven of their sins. And sometimes the rich, noble, or religious sought out Jesus that they might find an answer. Now, one of these was Nicodemus, and you recall he was not only a Pharisee and, and probably well-to-do, but he was looking for answers. And so he came to Jesus by night. Uh, kind of on the sly, we might say, didn't want to make a big fuss in public, but wanted to, to talk to, to Jesus. And so then the religious rulers were looking for Jesus that they might uh, kill him. He wasn't uh, very popular with them. Even one of his own disciples was looking for an opportunity 
to betray Jesus. And of course, uh, Judas was the one who was noted as a treasurer of sorts to the disciples. I suppose as money was given to the disciples in some way, or they had some means of acquiring some, uh, Judas kept it, put it in a bag, and uh, distributed it to the poor. Somewhat of a deacon's fund. But uh, I don't know if we should solely the name of deacon's fund with Judas's name. But he was, uh, he, was, he was greedy. And so the greedy, selfish, curious, jealous, ambitious, these all followed Jesus. And we must remember to say that there were many who followed Jesus because they loved him and adored him as the promised one who was meant to save them from their sins. He was known as the Christ and the true Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David. And so all of these followed Jesus. And now we find at this Passover season, and this being the last Passover season before Jesus would suffer the crucifixion, we find that these Gentiles came up um, from the regions of the Mediterranean uh, and uh, that they were there for the Passover feast and that they came and they wanted to seek knowledge of Jesus. They wanted to know no, no more about this man who, who did great miracles and was just now hailed as uh, Hosanna, save now, as he came into the city of Jerusalem. So those are the kind of the overview of the events and the circumstances uh, concerning those who followed Jesus. Three areas we'll look at here. Certain Greeks came to worship at the Passover. And so this was that Passover season wherein we know that the Passover was celebrated, that is, the sacrifice of a lamb, and that it would be offered, um, prescribed by the law ever since the Exodus, from the time of the Exodus out of Egypt, that this Passover was instituted and they were to keep it uh, by year, year by year, and we find that this Passover now, uh, this being perhaps the third Passover in Jesus' Um, course of ministry uh, to which would lead him eventually to the cross. And then uh, secondly, they came seeking an interview with Jesus. They wanted to seek knowledge of Jesus. Well, even today there are many people who want to know more about Jesus. But th these Gentiles, of course, um, would not have known a lot about Jesus, probably uh, for a couple of different reasons. They were probably from the Mediterranean region. Just how far they came, we don't know. Uh, but we do know that Rome being uh, the, the kind of the leader of the empire of that day, the Roman Empire, Rome being that uh, central government, if you will, uh, and it being primarily Gentile by origin, by nationality, uh, we find that uh, there were many uh, Gentiles that would come to Jerusalem. And during the Passover feast, it would even make more of an opportunity for people to come who were Gentiles. And these Gentiles, uh, the uniqueness about them is that they were probably God-fearing Gentiles. 
even though the Gentile nations, many of them were idolaters, the influence of Judaism uh, did spread far and wide. And it should not be too unbelievable for us to think that uh, God was known even in Gentile nations. And we'll look at that a little bit as we go through this. And then thirdly, he that loves his life in this world shall lose it. Uh, this is basically the, uh, what Jesus said in a capsule to the Gentiles that came. And of course that would pertain more directly uh, to Jesus himself at this particular time because Jesus would lose his life that he might be um, able to bring many by his own redemption, his own uh, blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of a lamb, as he is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, then as he would die, uh, so also would it be possible for others to come to faith in Christ, which would, uh, of course, goes far and beyond simple Judaism. That is, Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but Jesus never intended that he would die only for the Jewish people. But he came to die for the sins of the world. And so we'll look at these three areas uh, this afternoon. Shall we begin with verse 20 in John chapter 12? And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Uh, so here is the um, initial statement that these Greeks came. And um, the word Greek here simply means Grecian or Gentile. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were from Greece. It could have been from other areas as well, as the Gentile nations were very diverse. But we do know that the Greek-speaking world was Gentile by nationality, that is, they were not Jews. And so, um, if, you would, if you would divide the ethnicity in some sense and the religious natures in some sense of the speaking of the world at that time, there would be Jews, Gentiles, and then we would find the remainder would be the Church of God. You'd be, either be a Jew or a Gentile or a believer. Religiously, from the time of Christ onward, that would be the predominant um, division, Jew, Gentile, or Christian, or the, the Church of God. And so uh, we find that if one was not a Jew, then one is a Gentile. And then after the time of Christ, if one is not a Jew, then one is a Gentile, or if one is a believer, they belong to the Church of God. So, in a sense, it fits ethnicity as well as nationality, but then it goes beyond that. It goes to religious life. Um, and, uh, and so we find that uh, the Greeks, uh, the word Greeks here does not mean necessarily that it was only people from Greece, but rather they were Grecian, as the uh, Roman Empire was Grecian, and we find they were Gentile, and so they were non-Jew. 
And since the Romans held the empire, including all Israel, and of course that's true as well, isn't it? Uh, the Roman Empire included Israel. And uh, so they were in control over, over the, the Jews as well. And Gentiles were travelers throughout then the Mediterranean region. Now, of course, there was, uh, we think about the kind of things that went on in commerce. There were trade routes from the Mediterranean world, Mediterranean basin, that whole area around the Mediterranean Sea. Um, there were trade routes from there into um, Israel and through Israel into Egypt, and so into Africa, uh, and China probably over in the over in the Orient. There were trade routes. There were people, of course, were doing a lot of trading. There was there were ships sailing on the ocean. They uh, and people were in constant um, transit from one place to the other, and. You know, we think about our world today. They jump on people jump on a plane, or they, uh, they, they go here and there by airplane. But then there's a lot of ships that that sail the oceans as well, even today. And um, I suppose we would be amazed at the amount of trade and commerce and travel, even in the old world. They just did it differently, um, and much slower, no doubt, but. They did it. They, they still traveled. Uh, it just took them longer to get there. Uh, so we find these travelers, these, these Gentiles, these people from other nations came to that region, to Israel. And these uh, who were known as Greeks or Gentiles, they came. And they came because they happened to be uh, observing the Passover. And if they were observing the Passover, that meant that they must have been believing in the one true God. Now, of course, not all Gentiles believed in the one true God, obviously. But you may remember, even Paul, when he was in Athens, uh, he found altars to all kinds of different gods, and even one altar to the unknown God, the one they didn't even know. Uh, and uh, Paul pointed that out to them, and he would direct them unto the true and living God. So uh, the idea that uh, Gentiles would believe in the one true and living God um, is a great possibility, of course, and, and did. And uh, it, is, it is thought that these did. And that is the reason they came to Jerusalem and to observe the Passover. Walvard, in his uh, commentary, makes this statement that they were wanderers of the ancient world and seekers of truth. Now, of course, the reason he says that is because Greeks were, were very much uh, interested in philosophy uh, Aristotle, Plato, all of the different philosophers of those ages gone by. And Paul, uh, when he was at the Areopagus, uh, there was uh, people dis debating all the time, what is truth? And even Pilate would say that as Jesus was before him. He would say, what is truth? Why? Because uh, they were seekers of truth. They were continually debating. Even philosophers in our 19th century or 18th century or 20th century, we find that these philosophers will debate over truth. What is truth? Come up with their theories and, their, uh, and so forth. But these Greeks were, that came seeking Jesus were probably God-fearing men in the sense that they were seeking true, the, 
true reality of God, and that they were involved in, uh, even at this time, the Passover, the observance of the Passover. And so Jesus uh, gave uh, a very important statement about what he had to say uh, concerning um, those who would be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, in John chapter 10, you may remember, in verses 16 through 18, uh, Jesus said, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so the very words of Jesus indicated that the Gentile nations uh, would be a part of the fold, and uh, that uh, God meant that he should uh, uh, initiate that great work of redemption that all peoples should be able to come to faith in Christ. The Believer's Bible Commentary adds this note, Greeks who came to Jesus were Gentiles who had become converts to Judaism. The fact that they came to worship at the, fe at the feast shows that they were no longer carrying on the religious practices of their ancestors. Now, that's probably significant because we find that the Greeks would have been idolaters. Remember, there was the temple of uh, Diana. There was the temple of Athena. There were all kinds of temples throughout the Greek-speaking world. And uh, so there were many gods, and even today people study the mythologies of the gods. Zeus and Olympias, and uh, various ones that were, were mentioned in that day. And, uh, and unfortunately, I still uh, somehow connected in the thought processes of people today. And, but we find that uh, the coming of these Greeks then was significant to at least a foreshadowing that God truly would bring salvation to all nations. To all nations. And of course, part of our whole idea of, of uh, taking the gospel to the world is to take the gospel to all nations. Um, I'm not sure how many translations of the Bible in different languages there are right now. Um, some years ago, it was thought that there was in excess of 200 translations into, in different languages of different nations, but I'm sure it's far surpassed that now. And, um, and people are beginning to re receive translations of the Bible in their own language that never had it before. And of course, Wycliffe Bible translators and various uh, ministries like that have done a significant work to make sure that the gospel is given to um, the world, to all the nations of the world, and continue. Um, and so we find that this idea of Gentiles being ministered to or spoken to concerning these things uh, is something that is important for us to consider. An account is given in the book of Acts of a certain God-fearing Greek. And we should mention this in Acts chapter 10, 
10 and verse 19 to 22, it says, While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men that were unto them from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom, whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned of God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear word of thee. Cornelius, being a Gentile and a God-fearing man, was spoken to by God through an angel to send for Peter, that Peter might come to him and explain things more openly and, and purely concerning the gospel of Christ. Now, of course, this happens after the crucifixion of Christ and the ascension uh, and the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. But we find that these, uh, these events revealed to us that they were God-fearing Gentiles. And it appears that this, this Cornelius had never been evangelized other than by God. And God worked through, through his life. And so by what means he received the gospel, we aren't known, we aren't told, but he does receive it. And so in wisdom, men seek the Lord. These, uh, these Gentiles, these certain Greeks came seeking Jesus that they might know more about Jesus. We would see Jesus. And I understand that the word see there uh, has, uh, has to do with the knowledge. It comes from a word meaning to know, to know, to have knowledge of, to know, to see. So it's not just getting a, a, a visual on somebody. You, they wanted to know something more about Jesus. And so, the, uh, in wisdom, men seek the Lord. But in that wisdom, which is of God and not of man, um, the church at Corinth was a Greek-speaking and Gentile people. And it says, uh, concerning the church of Corinth, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus, Household of Stephanus, besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of, made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Wherefore is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolish, uh, the foolish, the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, 
because the foolishness of God is greater than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So we find that the wisdom of God is what these Greeks were seeking. They were seeking the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men. They already had the wisdom of their own philosophers. They already had the wisdom of their own sages, those wise men. Well, God calls that the wisdom of the world as foolish. But the wisdom of God, you see, brings one unto salvation. And so these, these Greeks were seeking that wisdom which is of God. And, of course, all who truly want to know God do seek him. Now, secondly, here, they came seeking an interview with Jesus, as we see in verses 21 to 22. So let's look at verse 21 and 22. Um, the same came, therefore, to Philip, who was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew, uh, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So there was a little bit of a, um, through the grapevine, you might say, that this message got to Jesus. Um, and so these men of the Gentile nations, these Greeks, if you will, they came seeking an interview that they might learn of Jesus. And uh, they were seeking the knowledge of God. Now remember, they, had, they were probably converts to Judaism, and so they were already uh, seeking that knowledge which, uh, which was uh, in the Word of God in the Old Testament. And now here is Jesus, who is a Jew himself, and he has come to Jerusalem, and he is now being hailed as the true Messiah of God, the Son of David. And they see this, and they hear it uh, in the crowd, and they come to uh, uh, Philip and Andrew, and they want to know more about Jesus, and they, they want to talk to him. And so it would be difficult to uh, keep Jesus hidden, we might say, when all of Jerusalem was celebrating his coming into the city. Um, Jesus was really the, the focal point of the crowd that was gathering there. They, yes, they were gathering for the Passover, but Jesus was being hailed, and everybody knew it. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees knew it. And they said, Behold, the world has gone after him. He was causing that much of a stir among the people. It was perhaps easy enough to ask the diverse crowd how to find Jesus. Well, if, um, if, if Jesus is in the crowd, then the crowd is, the, is where to start, isn't it? You say, well, where is he? Uh, we want to find him. And uh, somebody was very willing to point out uh, Philip. And uh, so Philip, he... Uh, he is the, the one that, that's being con contacted. Uh, so what does he do? He, he contacts another disciple. Um, you might think of our own relationships in our own churches and so forth. You, somebody comes to you, you and asks you a question, and you might ask the, another, another believer beside you. You might say, well, what do you think about this? So-and-so wants to know something about the about this, it might be membership, it might be something in the Bible, it might be an answer uh, from the scriptures that, that they're looking for. And, and finally, someone says, well, well, let's go ask the pastor. Let's ask him. <laughs> and so, what does, uh, what does uh, Philip do? Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew goes to, to their pastor. 
to their shepherd, to their master teacher, to Jesus. And so the conversation uh, is, is carried on very quickly in that direction. Um, and, and Jesus now comes to the place where he's, he's going to answer them. He's going to answer them. So they came seeking this interview with Jesus. Uh, Jesus' mission, of course, was to be a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. That was Jesus' mission. And he told his disciples to only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you might be saying right now, well, this doesn't sound exactly what, uh, what he told his disciples. Why would, does he speak to these Gentiles? But this is not the first time Jesus has broken the chain, you might say, of, of protocols uh, in this. Uh, there, were, there were other situations. Remember uh, the woman of Samaria? Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. Now, this Samaritan woman was, really, she was a mixed breed. Uh, she wasn't completely Jew. And we find that that was a, was a no-no. You might call her an uh, immigrant, uh, an alien. Let's just say she crossed the border. Uh, down, down in Mexico, <laughs> down in Texas, from Mexico, uh, she's a yeah, she's an illegal alien, you might say. And Jesus stops and speaks to her, uh, and so he, he again he breaks the protocol, doesn't he? Um, he talks to somebody that you would think he wouldn't talk to, but he tells us some very important things, of course. Um, what about the nobleman who comes to him while he's in in um, Galilee? You see, he, that was a centurion. Uh, he was probably someone who was associated with the court of Herod at the time, working for the government. And so he was a politician, we might say. Uh, and, and what does Jesus do when the, this uh, nobleman comes to him uh, and beseeches him to save and to heal his son, to heal him? Uh, and finally he says, uh, go home, your son is going to be well. He's going to be healed. Just go home. Uh, because he saw the great faith of this nobleman. Now again, this, this nobleman was not a Jew. He was not a Jew. Or if he was, he had broken uh, the order of things and, and he had, was following a, uh, an, an, a Herodian ruler, uh, which, which probably Herod was, a Herodian ruler. Uh, and so we find that uh, he broke again the, the protocol, you might say, that he gave to his own disciples. And then there was another incident um, where he allowed a Canaanite woman to employ him to heal her daughter of an evil spirit. Now this is even out there a little bit further. A Canaanite woman, uh, she was definitely of Gentile origin. And this is what the Bible has to say. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent unto the, am I not sent to, uh, unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Then came she and worshipped, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, 
It, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He was really calling her a downcast dog. <laughs> and, and she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then said Jesus uh, and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. That's Matthew chapter 15, 21 to 28. So here was a Canaanite woman. And normally he wouldn't have anything to do with her. Um, because it wasn't, wasn't part of the, the messianic protocol, you might say, for him to have anything to do with this Canaanite woman. But he does. A Samaritan woman, a nobleman, a Canaanite woman, uh, Greeks who come to him. Uh, you see the pattern here? Uh, Jesus didn't refuse any who really employed him. That, that they might know him. They might know him. And truly who he was, the Son of God. He didn't refuse them. And so, um, neither should we, right? I mean, the application is very obvious. Neither should we. Uh, if a Jew came to you, wouldn't you want to tell them about Jesus, if they were asking? If a Muslim came to you, wouldn't you want to tell them about Jesus, if they were asking? Uh, no matter what the person's background is, or ethnicity, or nationality, uh, it doesn't matter. If they truly seek Jesus, then... We have to, we, as disciples of Christ, like Philip and Andrew, we have to take them to Jesus. We take them to Jesus. We tell them about Jesus. And what, is, what does the gospel say? It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from grace, from uh, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we find that uh, these Gentiles came seeking an interview with Jesus. Philip and Andrew did not refuse. Even though they thought Jesus might have a reservation about it. No, they went to Jesus and they said, Gentiles have come to talk to you, to know you. And so now he tells them something. Now he tells them something. What does he say? Uh, as we look here in, in verse 23, verse 23. And Jesus answered them. That's the, that's the key phrase, isn't it? And Jesus answered them. In other words, them is the Gentiles. Uh, they have brought these Gentiles unto Jesus. Jesus answered them, I say unto you, except a, a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So uh, the hour of Jesus had now come. It was that close. Remember, this is the, the Passover in which Jesus would be betrayed. So verse 23 says, and Jesus, uh, verse 22 says, Philip cometh to, and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, 
the hour is come. The hour is come. So the, this, uh, this whole idea of what he has to say here pertains first to him and then to us. Because if Jesus had not died for us, it would mean little to us. But Jesus did die for us. And what he was about to do would have um, consequences way beyond um, our comprehension. Though we try to understand more fully the, the death of Christ and his burial and resurrection and those subsequent things that happened after, uh, yet we find that as believers, we continue to study those things over and over again, realizing more and more of the significance of what happened when Christ was crucified for us. But he uses a principle of sowing and reaping, uh, an agrarian principle of, um, of sowing, to explain this to uh, the Greeks, and perhaps to his own disciples, as no doubt they were present. Uh, and so he says... Um, the hour is come, and the Son of Man should be glorified. And of course, this referring to the fact that he would not only die and suffer on the cross, but ultimately he would rise again. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain or corn of wheat, if you will, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Now, this is a, an agrarian principle because we know that unless you plant something, you don't get a harvest from it. And, uh, of course, this principle is used throughout uh, agriculture. You have to plant before you can get in a harvest. Um, and even today, um, we have to have farmers. Uh, farmers have to plow fields and they have to plant the grains um, whether they be for wheat or whether they be for something else, for rice, for barley, for any kind of uh, product or for vegetable, uh, anything, uh, you have to plant in order to get a harvest. And uh, Jesus would be uh, planted, if you will, in the sense that um, he would have to give up his life for this great purpose of redemption in order for us to receive the benefit of it. And so he goes into this, um, and it is important for us to realize, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Uh, Luke 17, 33 says something very similar, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And then 1 Corinthians 15.36 says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened or made alive, except it die. And so we find the scriptures repeating, that, uh, repeating the same thing in different ways, that he that loves his life in this world shall lose it. That's the first principle is, uh, what, was, what does it mean to love one's life? Uh, well, Luke seems to say it most clearly, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Um, there are many people today trying to save their lives from in this world. They're trying to save their lives, trying to get a good pension, 
trying to build a good um, portfolio. Uh, they want to have a good property. Um, they want to be able to be secure for the future. And they work, 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 and do everything they can to save um, and to build bigger bonds. But then we find that Jesus says, Thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of you. And because they've neglected everything except the, those things which they thought was important in life, they suffer and lose their life in Christ. And of course, um, uh, there were many that, were, that are pursuing that kind of thing today. Now that is not to say that we shouldn't have some kind of security that we shouldn't take care of our family, that we shouldn't have a job, that we shouldn't pay our bills, that we shouldn't have... Uh, in, that is not to say those things aren't important. Uh, but what is the focus, he says? What is, what, what is the focus of uh, an individual? And uh, that will tell much. Uh, so he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except... A corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And then the second part, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Now what does it mean to hate your life in this world? Uh, it simply means that one should not pursue uh, to all extent those things of this life and neglect those things of the next life. Uh, if one pursues uh, the, the, the temporal things and neglects the eternal things, then they lose. But if you keep your attention upon the eternal things, those things that uh, God instructs us Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, if we seek those things that God requires of us first, then we shall not lose our life in the end. We shall not find that we are wanting in the end. And so, uh, in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-six, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not made alive or quickened, except it die. And so this hour, his hour was at hand when Jesus is pointing to himself and to what he came to accomplish on the cross. He also meant it for those who would be his disciples. Uh, and so uh, he says to them in verse 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. So ultimately, when we put Christ first in our life, when we put the eternal realities first in our life, we find that we become servants of the Lord. Becoming servants of the Lord, we then will find Jesus uh, in, in all things that we do. That is, he will be the focus of our hearts, our attention, and our purpose in life and that we shall know eternal life because Christ has been directing us unto those things which are eternal. Now, uh, Moses, you may remember, uh, he was a man who sought God 
And it says in Hebrews 11.25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So what did Moses do? Well, he became that one who would go back to Egypt. He would face the circumstances of um, confrontation with Pharaoh. He would go through many sufferings and hardships that he might uh, lead those people out of Egypt and out of the bondage to that country that they may be a people of God, to serve God. And so he, he really did suffer the afflictions with the people of God and uh, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, and of course there are many in this world who, who are pursuing the wrong things. Uh, the principle of sowing reap, um, of reaping then is important. In John 12:24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So the farmer puts the kernel of wheat in the ground. It appears to die and corrupt, but actually what's happening is that it's sprouting. And God has germinated that corn of wheat and it makes a plant. The plant grows to maturity. It produces the wheat or the grain, if you will, and uh, to the amazement of everybody, it is not thrown away, it is not corrupted, but has multiplied many times over. And our spiritual lives are multi multiplied many times over as we do give up our lives in this world for the Lord Jesus Christ, as we do give up the pursuits of self in this world for the glory of God, uh, our life is multiplied over and over the benefits of it. And so God means for us to, to do that. In John twelve twenty six, If any man serve me, he says, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so the eternal benefits are well beyond those benefits in this life. And it is said... Uh, with that we are saved to serve. It, the, we are saved to serve. We're not saved to, you know, to be selfishly uh, employed uh, or to neglect those things which are eternal. No, we are saved to serve the Lord. And so we might ask ourselves a various number of questions. Perhaps one of them is like this. Are you willing to wash the disciples' feet? Remember, Jesus girded himself with a towel. He washed the disciples' feet. And he really told them, he says, now you have to wash one another's feet. You have to become servants one of another. See, that's what part of, that's part of giving up in, this, in this, the pursuit of ourself is all about. We have to become servants of one another as disciples of Christ. Uh, secondly, um, can you sit at the far end of the table and be unnoticed for Jesus? Remember, that, remember there is the one who wants to come and he wants the first place at the table. But no, he is told to, to give up the first place and go to the back uh, that others may sit in front. And uh, so we find that God honors that kind of humility not to put ourselves first, 
but rather to be willing to be a servant in humility. And, uh, and so he, he appreciates that in, our, in the idea of service. Um, is our idea of service always being right? You know, sometimes we have our opinion and we think our opinion is so great that we won't listen to anybody else's opinion. <laughs> and in the process, we kind of push people away from us uh, rather than uh, serving together for one cause in Christ. Uh, we give people the, uh, the idea that we, we know it all or we can do it all ourselves and that is not what the Lord wants. Um, and so we have to put ourselves last many times in order to become servants of the Lord. Uh, we will lay aside first place and give others a chance to be heard. You know, this kind of goes to the idea of esteeming others better than yourself. Uh, we have to be willing to do that. We, 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 if we don't, if we don't uh, try to esteem others greater than ourselves, then we build up our own pride and arrogancy. Uh, and that is not good. So it, whatever we can do to counterbalance our natural nature, which wants to promote itself, and be servants of the Lord, and live in humility for the Lord, is part of what it means here to uh, lose our life or to hate our life uh, that we might glorify or serve God in a greater capacity. Um, and Jesus was about to do that. Jesus is our best example of everything. He was about to do that. He was about to become the savior of the world. And he would go through the greatest humiliation and he would esteem others greater than himself by taking on the place of a sacrificial lamb. Remember, he is the Son of God. His God himself came down in an incarnate form. He's not just a man who has taken on a uh, martyrdom. No, he is the Son of God, and he came to accomplish this because it was, he was sent of the Father to do it. God wants us to model in our own lives such a principle of sowing and reaping. And that would be to his praise and glory. Now remember, this is what, he, what Jesus told these Greeks. You might say, well, it must have went right over their heads. But see, that doesn't matter if it went right over their heads. Because it's the truth. It's the truth. You know, we think, well, I can't tell somebody else this kind of thing who is asking about Jesus. It would just go right over their head. You see, we have to give up that idea. We have to remember that eternal truth has a purpose to it. It may be that these Greeks all of a sudden were confronted by the greatest philosopher they had ever heard in their life. Because what Jesus said to them broke every rule in the philosophy book. It broke every rule. And so they must have been scratching their heads big time and must have been saying, we have never heard a man speak like this. Never. Only God 
gives eternal truth that can transform lives. We should not be afraid to give it. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank you for your word to us. We ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen.